floods, droughts, locusts, climate change? There is a lot going on in and around us in Africa and super fast. We are all seeing and feeling the effect it has on how we eat, move around and even how we can make a living. For this reason, join me, Sophie Mbogwa, a Kenyan environmental journalist, for a weekly podcast, The Africa Climate Conversations. Africa Climate Conversations aims at helping you understand what climate change is all about, how it affects you and your family, what is being done in Africa, and what you can do to adapt and mitigate to its impacts, no matter where you are in Africa. Hello. Welcome to this week's edition of the Africa Climate Conversations. This is a weekly podcast dedicated to discussing climate change issues in Africa. I'm your host, Sophie Mbogwa. For the last two weeks, we defined weather, climate change and global warming. We also discussed effects climate change has and what we can do about it in different sectors. In case you missed it, you can check those episodes on all podcast platforms or on my website sofimbogwa.com. This week we start a new series on the twin challenge of COVID-19 and climate change in Africa. I'm so humbled today to be joined from the Seychelles by Mr. Jean-Paul Adam, the Director for Technology, Climate Change and Natural Resources Management at the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa. Thank you so much for finding time this early morning. The pleasure. Thank you very much. I think it's a great initiative to have the, the podcast. And effectively, I think we globally, unfortunately, we treat climate change as business as usual. And COVID has been the disruption. So we treat COVID as the, as the emergency. But the climate emergency is as pressing yeah. and in some cases, arguably even more pressing. Yeah. Um, my own my own background. Um, I only recently joined the UNECA, so mm-hmm. I started work with the UN in February this mm-hmm. year, 2020, mm-hmm. just before COVID. Yeah. Uh, before that, my career was in government. I worked with the government of the Republic of Seychelles. Okay. Uh, so not far from Kenya, mm-hmm. two and a half hours on Kenya Airways, if ever you have the chance. Yeah. Where once flights start again, for the moment they are not there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I worked. Uh, I worked as a minister. My last portfolio was uh, in, in the cabinet. My last portfolio was uh, Minister of Health. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before that, I was the Minister for Finance. And that went with the blue economy and uh, the portfolio for the blue economy, which was basically um, how we can uh, maximize the economic opportunity from the ocean while also addressing climate adaptation issues. And we did a few financing uh, innovations at that time, including a debt for adaptation swap and uh, blue bond. Mm-hmm. Uh, and before that, I was also Minister of Foreign Affairs. So that's a little bit my, my background and my, my, uh, uh, my training. I've, I, I was a career diplomat before entering politics. Uh, and so now I'm back in the, uh, in the realm of the UN. Ah, perfect. So at ECA, uh, what are you doing currently? So my current role is uh, I, I run the division for technology, climate change and natural resource management. So the the main role of the division is essentially to uh, prioritize the transition towards a green economy or a blue economy, meaning um, uh, an economy which is focused around uh, sustainable practices and which looks at uh, uh, maximizing wealth creation and and equality, but using using responsible um, uh, modes of production and consumption. 
so it's, it's really about recognizing what are the limits uh, that we have in relation to natural resources, but recognizing that we do need to have a, a, an approach that, that improves people's livelihoods. You know, it's, 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 a false it's a false narrative to say that we protect something without creating incomes. We have to create incomes, we have to create opportunities, we have to be able to improve people's livelihoods. Uh, so that's a little bit the focus of the work of the division and obviously that includes addressing climate change because climate change is actually even today is costing people uh, money it's costing jobs um, the work that uh, our division has done and the UNECA more widely has shown that just today um, uh, and in current terms uh, climate change is costing uh, African uh, economies on average two to three percent of their GDP Mm -hmm. So, um, and that's, uh, if you look at that in the context of, of COVID, uh, COVID is costing between 1.7 and 2.7% of GDP on average immediately. Of course, there are some outliers as, as there are with climate change. In climate change, you also have some economies that are affected up to 10% of GDP even today. And in the future, there are some scenarios that lead to, to losses of up to 15% of GDP. Mm -hmm. So the impact of climate change is is immediate, it's, uh, it's affecting uh, the daily lives of, of people in Africa, uh, mm -hmm. and it's affecting the ability of African governments to, to deliver in terms of uh, improved livelihoods for their citizens. Yeah, and that means as much as COVID-19 is happening, we need to think about climate change as an urgent issue that needs addressing. I think it's, a, it's, it's interesting to actually think about COVID as uh, part of the sustainable development uh, and climate change response because we can expect that um, as climate change uh, continues to progress we will see the continued rise of uh, zoonotic based diseases which um, all evidence points that uh, COVID started as a zoonotic disease mm -hmm. and we, we can expect therefore there will be increased frequency of, of similar related pandemics uh, and the uh, and climate change will probably increase that frequency uh, climate change is already costing people's lives the who estimates that on an annual basis 150,000 people are losing their lives and this will rise to 250,000 by 2030 less than 10 years mm -hmm. so climate change is already a, a, an urgent issue the response to climate change and the response to covid should be part of the same package uh, and that's about building back better look focusing on a green recovery uh, and that means uh, investing in uh, platforms that help sustainable development to be mainstreamed, looking particularly at issues such as energy, such as food production and distribution, uh, such as water and sanitation. These are the issues on which you, when you build them correctly, uh, you build resilience within communities and you can respond to both COVID and also to climate change. And we feel, we feel that that response should be uh, coordinated and should be part of the same response towards achieving sustainable development. And when we look at um, this year, uh, from uh, sometimes back last year, we, we, we're looking at different regions affected differently. And when you look at the Horn of Africa, it has been ex uh, experiencing a triple challenge currently right now, because we had first the invasion of locusts that are supposed to be on the second phase right now. And then we look at um, the issues of COVID-19, and then we look at the issues of climate change. I would just probably want us to just have an overview of how climate change, COVID-19, and other challenges, of, including locusts that are affecting different regions, 
because um, earlier this year, UNEC had, um, that is United Nations Economic Commission for Africa, in April they released a report that was on COVID-19 in Africa. And I just want to have an overview to, from someone who's actually um, listening to us right now. You mentioned the relationship between COVID-19 and climate change in terms of zoonotic, and then climate change is likely to increase um, uh, the likelihood of these particular infections in future. But I would want us to also look into um, different regions, how different regions have been affected currently where, as we speak right now. Uh, absolutely. And the, the situation that we are seeing in Eastern Africa in relation to the, the triple threat that you have uh, mentioned, which becomes a quadruple threat when you look at the, the, the imminence of a, a global recession, which will also be uh, affecting Africa disproportionately because of the lack of fiscal space relatively in African countries compared to, for example, more developed economies. Mm -hmm. So the, and the issue of, of, of the locusts uh, has a direct link with the climate change as we have seen um, the, uh, the heavy rains in some areas have led to, uh, uh, last year, have led to a, 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 particularly, um, a particularly fruitful breeding season uh, and which have now trans has now been translated into this heavy population of locusts that travel across uh, several areas, including outside of Africa, but which the impact on particularly the food supplies in Eastern Africa is the most dramatically felt. Uh, this is part of a wider, uh, a, a wider trend that we are seeing in terms of the impact of climate change um, on uh, issues which are directly affecting people's lives, whether it be in terms of food security. But we've also seen, um, uh, last year, we've seen the impact of, of various uh, cyclones uh, that have, uh, we've had the, the Kenneth, Cyclone Kenneth and, and Idai, which have had numerous uh, impacts in terms of displacing people, in terms of the loss of life, the loss of investment, the loss of property, uh, and which have also led to uh, increased uh, health challenges such as cholera outbreaks, uh, and which have put pressure on already um, uh, already uh, uh, already weak uh, health systems. Yeah. So the the whole narrative around climate change is that we will see um, a continued increase in these uh, what we would call uh, uh, shocks of different kinds uh, and COVID-19 is part of that as well and uh, the, the challenge that we all have is to build the resilience for the next shocks it's not Absolutely. that it's, it's not a question of uh, of if it's coming it's a question of when mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the, the the different scenarios um, show that uh, we need to build that resilience in Africa to be able to better respond to these issues. Mm. And before we go on, how do we build this resilience? You talked about East Africa. How are other regions faring? Well, there, there, there are similar challenges being faced in, in the other regions. If we look at, uh, at the Sahel, there have been uh, issues around uh, availability of, of water, um, which has directly impacted as well on the, uh, on the availability of food, and which consequently has also impacted in terms of uh, uh, the security situation in the country. We have seen rise of, of uh, militantism and uh, of uh, extremists uh, because peace and security is always directly linked to the availability of, uh, of food and the availability of services which can allow people to have, uh, have normal lives. Uh, where there is, uh, where these, these normal lives are disrupted, it's a fertile ground for, for extremism. 
Um, we we also seeing um, in, in in numerous other countries disruption of weather patterns, um, we which impact uh, on, on on their crops, on their livelihoods, uh, and also their ability to uh, to invest. Uh, if we look also at Southern Africa uh, and. Uh, if we take uh, the situation of Zimbabwe and uh, countries around Zimbabwe, Botswana, Zambia, uh, they are all uh, dependent on uh, a very significant portion of the electricity comes from hydropower from the Kariba Dam. Mm -hmm. uh, and the disruption in, in weather patterns, um, which also are linked to the, to the cyclones, uh, have, uh, have had an impact, for example, that the dam is, is operating at a very much reduced capacity. And, and uh, this has meant that the availability of electricity, for example, has not been guaranteed in these areas, which has consequently had a direct impact on the economy. So if we take Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe in 2018 was growing um, at about seven or 8%. Mm -hmm. um, and in 2019, uh, and particularly the beginning of 20 was in negative growth. And that's directly linked to, and this will be exacerbated by COVID-19, yep. but the beginning of the negative growth was directly linked to the availability of power, which is a, a critical element for the economy. And that was linked to the lack of rains and the lack of hydropower. Mm -hmm. What about in Central Africa? Obviously in, in Central Africa, the, uh, they have, they've had less issues of, of drought, but they have had issues of, of heavy rains. Um, there is the, uh, the issue as well of uh, vector-borne diseases uh, linked to the to the the changes in in rain patterns, um, that includes uh, malaria, dengue fever, um, and other uh, and other diseases, also including waterborne diseases. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, every region in Africa is affected directly by climate change and immediately. It's not uh, something that's happening tomorrow. It's something that's happening immediately. Um, we can perhaps uh, look for some other examples which are a little bit more specific, mm -hmm. um, but those are a few that I'm aware of uh, off the top of my head. Absolutely. When we look at the issues of climate change, this year, 2020, has been, uh, is one of the most important years um, in terms of adapting, meeting the climate goals. Like you remember when in 2015, when nations came together and agreed um, to, you know, uh, limit the world leaders committed under the Paris Agreement to keep the global temperatures under two degrees and further committed to endeavor to keep it within safer threshold of 1.5. So this year, um, nations were required to revise and submit their climate commitment. That is the nationally determined contributions. Um, given that the previous commitments nations had submitted was leading us to a three degrees warmer world. So um, I'm wondering with COVID-19 happening um, this year now and nations now looking into issues of how do we uh, prevent our people and how do we shield our people? Uh, how does this year look like in terms of now climate ambitions and commitment? It's a critical moment because um, we are off track in relation to the commitments made in the Paris. And this was to be a year where we ramp up ambition. Mm -hmm. I think we can be proud that actually African uh, leaders and African governments have been pushing very much the narrative of, of increasing ambition. Mm -hmm. uh, and Africa has therefore been taking a lead role. But this is in, against the backdrop where there has definitely among many of the biggest uh, economies that produce the most emissions, there has been a, a degree of backsliding mm. uh, or, or, you or at the very best, you could say that there is a, a reduced uh, focus on implementing uh, increased ambition around, uh, around the Paris Agreement. Mm. So, but it's important for us to look at COVID-19 as actually the moment where 
increasing the ambition and uh, and actually uh, uh, ensuring that there is counter cyclical investment in, for example, uh, energy, which should be primarily renewable energy. And the economics now um, show that uh, renewable energy is actually much more cost effective. If we take even among developed economies, a number of coal plants are actually closing uh, for no other reason than they are not econo economical. So uh, it is the perhaps the perfect moment to actually increase investments in renewables and therefore uh, bring us to a path of well below two degrees, 1.5 degrees uh, in terms of increase in temperature on, on pre-industrial uh, averages. And uh, the advantage of, of this counter-cyclical investment in renewables is that it will be part of uh, kick-starting uh, job growth and, and job creation and wealth creation. And particularly in the African continent, there are 600 million Africans that still don't have access to electricity. Sure. And if we can connect those 600 million Africans, it will create opportunities for SMEs. Uh, it will create opportunity for sustainable agriculture and better food distribution systems. Uh, it will create uh, jobs for women who are currently um, not involved, for example, in the job sector, in, in, in the uh, employment uh, arena. Uh, and it will therefore improve overall wealth uh, creation and, and equality. So uh, I think that there's, a, there's an opportunity by, uh, and energy is a platform for, for building investments also in many other areas. If you can, as I've said, if you can connect all of these people in Africa who are currently unconnected, this, is a, this will open a new market as well, where we can mobilize the African continental free trade area uh, mm. and uh, create opportunities for trade, opportunities for exchanges and uh, better job creation. So uh, I think it's imperative this year that we raise the ambition and in all countries, it should be part of the recovery. Okay. Therefore, that means as nations now th re think about economic recovery, these climate plans, this climate uh, and, and recovery should be one and the same thing. Absolutely. I think they are indivisible. The, um, the need to, to have a green recovery uh, is about ensuring that you are creating sustainable jobs also. Um, for example, there is no point in um, commissioning a new coal plant at this point when you know that coal is uneconomical. And uh, anybody who's monitoring uh, energy markets will tell you that, the, uh, that, that certain uh, types of energy are, are not going to be viable in the long term and you will be creating uh, an investment which will be a, a false investment in the future and jobs that will be lost within a few years. Mm -hmm. Whereas investing in renewables will provide long-term uh, jobs and also um, by ensuring that there is connectivity more widely, it will create other opportunities throughout the economy. Um, there is a need for some transition uh, in Africa where some fossil fuels may, may need to be used as a transition, whether it be gas or in some other countries, it may be some other uh, uh, other fuels, and but we should not forget that Africa um, is responsible for less than 4% of global emissions, despite having 17% of the world population. Sure. So overall in Africa, the priority must be to connect our citizens to electricity, um, use renewables because those are the best economic choices at the moment, and, mm -hmm. and backing them up where necessary with a, a transition in terms of some other fossil fuels. But globally, we also need enhanced ambition by the biggest emitters. And mm. I think Africa also has a role to play to pass that message very strongly. Okay. 
Yeah, because then, then again means even if Africa that is contributing less than 4% did everything exactly. and went to renewable and then the big economy... Yeah, will like, still you know, be the, not be on a path of being well below two degrees because Africa on its own um, can, in a sense, make its own future more sustainable. And I think that's a message that every African leader needs to take on board, mm -hmm. that the investments that you make now in the response to COVID will set your economic path for a few years to come. And then if you are not investing in renewables now, then your economy will be on the wrong path and it will be harder to change later on. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what Africa needs to keep in mind. But in terms of making a real difference in terms of climate impact globally, we need the biggest emitters to take the lead and they need to make very, very serious commitments to reduce greenhouse gas emissions globally. Absolutely. And that has to come as nations recover from COVID-19. Exactly. And the same messages apply in the sense that um, the, if we are really looking at sustainable job creation and wealth creation, mm -hmm. uh, we have to be looking at uh, industries of the future. Um, and investing in, in, in renewables, for example, is part of that. And ensuring that we have more resilient food production and distribution systems is part of that. Um, ensuring that we have appropriate water and sanitation is, is, is part of that. And that applies to all countries because even within uh, the more uh, parts of the more developed world, um, some of these challenges have been outlined by COVID-19. Even in the most uh, developed countries, they had food they had food distribution and production issues, and mm -hmm. they are still facing those. So it's it, it's nece it's necessary that we look at um, uh, mainstreaming uh, sustainable systems now because that will prepare us better for what will be inevitably happen again in some form. It may not be a pandemic in the, exactly the same form as. We are seeing now, mm -hmm. but there will be other uh, global events um, that will impact countries substantially. And unless we make these kind of changes now, we will not be prepared for them. Absolutely. So this whole building better, this whole building resilience and also nations recovering requires financing, right? Exactly. And I was looking at the ECA report, um, there's the policy brief that was released in May on impacts on COVID-19 in Africa. And looking into Africa specifically, the debt uh, increased from 39.5% in 2011. That is the average debt to GDP ratio uh, to 61.3% in 2019. So we're already seeing nations that have been spending 2 to 9% of their GDPs to adapt to climate change. That was already before COVID-19 happened. So nations need um, more money right now to now deal with the twin challenge that has also come. And um, in our conversation, we look into those two, should the recovery should be one, one and one, same thing. But I'm wondering how in terms of when you look at climate issues and climate financing has been one big handle for um, developing countries to have that finance. How do we go about with high rising debt in Africa? How do we deal with this challenge that we have at the moment? How do we finance that? Absolutely, because the I think we have to firstly situate the, the situation that African countries were facing. Um, the rising debt issues were, were starting even before COVID-19. Yeah. Uh, and this is a wider issue around um, how, we, um, how, how we address uh, development financing. Uh, you see, the impact of climate change, for example, often goes below the radar. African countries are already... Um, suffering by two to three percent of their GDP annually mm -hmm. uh, because of climate change. But this is simply factored into uh, business as usual and it should not because this is an externality which is directly uh, impacting on these economies and which these countries have had very limited 
responsibility for the creation of the problem in the first place. Mm -hmm. uh, access to climate finance has also been very difficult. The Green Climate Fund um, has provided, I think, some very good projects of which a number of African countries have benefited. Mm -hmm. But overall, the gap in terms of climate financing uh, remains uh, sub substantial. Uh, there's uh, the Unit uh, Adaptation Finance Gap Report, which estimates uh, that 140 to 300 billion dollars in adaptation finances, mm -hmm. uh, financing, uh, will be needed by 2030, yeah. um, and that's six to 13 times greater than what international public finance has made available uh, today. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can see the the scale of the gap, and that's and those figures are not taking into account the impact that COVID-19 will have on on public uh, financing around the world. So it includes countries that had pledged money towards uh, climate change uh, adaptation and mitigation, uh, they will perhaps be less uh, able to put that money there. So there's sure. uh, a real challenge. And then we have the debt issues with uh, African countries because the reality that most African countries have been facing is we actually have seen certain successes. Africa was growing uh, relatively well, um, still not, not fast enough, but it was growing uh, overall. There was almost every African country had uh, uh, growth in their economies prior to COVID-19, yeah. um, but they had very little fiscal space. And a lot of the countries, uh, there are those of course that uh, are considered least developed countries and had access to concessional financing through the World Bank and the IMF and so on. Mm. But many of the others had to borrow commercially, whether it be on bond markets or whether it be on commercial banks um, or through other forms of, of domestic financing. And this has driven debt up substantially. And because all of these countries have been seeking to improve their infrastructure, uh, to address the investments around the, the sustainable development goals, but mm -hmm. also adapt to the immediate impact of climate change. Yep. So there's direct correlation between climate change adaptation and the gradual rise in African debt. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of the responses in the immediate, um, the ECA has been calling through uh, the Partnership of African Governments has been calling for a moratorium. Yep. This has been granted moratorium on debt. This has been granted for the least developed countries, but we are making a very strong case that this should cover all African countries without exception mm -hmm. because uh, African economies are increasingly integrated. Yeah. You, by supporting one country, let's say a middle-income country or even an upper-middle-income country, mm -hmm. you can also support trade towards uh, least developed countries that have borders with those countries. Uh, so it's important that we look at that in a very holistic manner. Yeah. Um, the moratorium is obviously only an immediate solution, meaning that the money that's freed up will go into the immediate response of COVID-19. It's essentially... Mm -hmm going to health sectors, but we have to find ways that we can also uh, generate additional funding towards uh, the response to climate change. And we have to empower countries themselves and not only create a culture of dependence. True. And this yeah. is where ideas that the ECA have been floating is, for example, the creation of a special purpose vehicle mm -hmm. for African debt, mm -hmm. uh, which would reduce the cost of that debt, perhaps also extend it over a longer term. Uh, provide some some guarantees using international institutions and therefore reduce the overall of that uh, cost of that debt uh, and therefore create more fiscal space uh, for for African economies. Uh, we're also looking at other innovations, uh, for example, uh, green or blue bonds. Um, mm -hmm. And in my past experience as a Seychelles Minister of Finance, Seychelles is a country that has done a blue bond in 2017, 2018. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, uh, these are uh, in the context of Seychelles, it involved a guarantee, for example, from the World Bank. Mm -hmm. So certainly there will be certain needs for some forms of credit enhancement by international institutions uh, to allow some of these, this private sector money to go into 
um, African economies, which are often perceived as being more risky. Mm -hmm. um, but these kind of financing uh, models can uh, can perhaps uh, 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 plug some of the gap that is existing in terms of investment needs, particularly in energy, uh, where there is a return on investment. So it's not as if uh, these African economies are expecting simply to have handouts. Yeah. These are things that can be built together in a holistic and sustainable uh, manner. And uh, we also believe very strongly that uh, it's definitely time for, for some form of, um, of, of global trading system in terms of, uh, of carbon. Uh, and mm. one which also particularly looks at the needs of developing countries. So not simply putting a price on carbon, which is then traded among big firms, um, but a price on carbon which recognizes the, the fact that African economies contribute the least towards greenhouse gas emissions and therefore giving them the space for them to have funds that they can invest in climate change adaptation, looking at nature-based solutions, uh, for example, the rehabilitation of mangrove areas, of, of uh, deforested areas, of, uh, uh, of, of creating uh, buffer areas uh, around cities so that we don't face the pollution problems that number of of uh, emerging big cities have faced. Um, mm -hmm. And all of this requires uh, upscaling and financing and, and carbon-based uh, trading uh, programs uh, are perhaps part of that solution among others. Mm -hmm. um, but we also believe that uh, ultimately there, there just has to be more focus on actually delivering uh, in terms of commitments that have been made in terms of climate change financing. Well, sticking with that in terms of carbon trade, uh, we've seen much of the trade within the, that existed within many African countries is mainly where uh, carbon is sold with, uh, to other different parts of the world. But I'm thinking, what about uh, trading within countries, countries to countries within Africa, increasing that where you have, um, for example, uh, a carbon trade project in Seychelles and you have probably a company like probably Kenya Airways buying that particular carbon from these communities? I think this is something that definitely needs to be uh, to be examined, and I think there's a, a great opportunity through the AFCFTA uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to look at regional mechanisms. But because overall Africa is 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 not is not a, a net emitter uh, in terms of of carbon dioxide, mm. uh, it's important that whatever we do internally within the continent um, is also situated within a global system. Okay. Uh, because overall, there will be opportunities for offsets between, uh, um, for example, aviation companies are, are typically going to be those that will have to look for offsets in some form or another, mm -hmm. and also for some of the fossil fuels uh, companies in, in, in transition scenarios will be having to look for offsets in some form. So there will be opportunities for regional trading, but we also need to make sure that there is a global system that can support it. That's fantastic. Um, so one point, I think, before I let you go, um, private sector, what role can they play in terms of dealing with COVID-19 and climate change? I think that it's important, firstly, to recognize that uh, Africa is, is vulnerable, is very vulnerable to climate change. Mm -hmm. And uh, African countries do not have the fiscal space that a lot of uh, the developed world has. But Africa is no longer in the same situation where uh, it, it needs, uh, where it, it's no longer in a situation where it simply needs handouts. In most scenarios, mm. um, and even around the investments that need to be made in terms of sustainable development, uh, there are opportunities uh, for investments that bring return. Now, these private sector investors do need to avoid looking at Africa as simply a high risk and high return and looking at the long term. Uh, investments that are made now will generate, can generate long term 
sustainable returns based on the perspectives that these African economies have. COVID-19 is obviously having a big impact now, uh -huh. but the fundamentals of these economies were sound even before COVID-19 came in. Sure. So once the recovery kicks in, we can expect that there will be a positive uh, return uh, in terms of investments that are made, particularly in the energy sector. Hmm. Of course, governments have a strong role that, that, needs, to be, uh, uh, that needs to be strengthened also in some cases, um, looking at the, the regulations and ensuring that there is an overall transparency in terms of the investment framework. Mm -hmm. uh, but we need uh, the private sector to uh, not just look at Africa as a cash cow where you can, because of the risk that is perceived that you get a high return quickly, but look at Africa as a development opportunity in the longer term yeah. uh, where you can sustained uh, return on investment. And by uh, investing, for example, in energy, the opportunities, the subsequent um, uh, opportunities that will be created even in other sectors mm -hmm. uh, are substantial and will also create therefore other opportunities for the private sector to invest. But it has to be on the basis of partnership. And as I said, Africa is no longer in a situation where it just needs hands out and mm -hmm. handouts. Yeah. It needs partnership and investment uh, based on an understanding of, of, uh, of a shared risk, but also a shared reward. Thank you so much. That is fantastic that you actually wrap it up like that. Um, yeah, thank you so much. I sincerely appreciate you for finding time this morning. The pleasure. Thank you very much. All right. And I'm hoping that in future, so um, you have a very wide range of issues that we can actually discuss in terms of climate issues. And I'm hoping that I can call on you back again, sometimes back to probably discuss um, blue economy and oceans and climate change issues. Please do, because I think these are nature-based solutions and uh, uh, sustainable development of, for example, ocean spaces, I think is going to be one of the, one of the key uh, uh, ways in which Africa can, can put in place uh, sustainable, um, uh, sustainable strategies to achieve the development and the, and the sustainable development goals. So yeah. it'd be a pleasure to speak to you about these issues. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I sincerely appreciate and do have yourself a lovely day and a lovely week ahead. Same to you. Thank you so much. All right. Remember to subscribe and listen to this podcast now available on all podcast platform and you can as well as access it on my website sofimbogwa.com. Until next week, kwaheri, do have yourself a productive and a safe week ahead. Floods, droughts, locusts, climate change. There is a lot going on in and around us in Africa and super fast. We are all seeing and feeling the effect it has on how we eat, move around and even how we can make a living. For this reason, join me Sophie Mbogwa, a Kenyan environmental journalist, for a weekly podcast, The Africa Climate Conversations. Africa Climate Conversations aims at helping you understand what climate change is all about, how it affects you and your family, what is being done in Africa, and what you can do to adapt and mitigate to its impacts no matter where you are in Africa.